My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Well, we've been off for a few weeks. we got a lot to cover from team mergers and driver swaps to charters going around, not to mention racetracks changing ownership, all ahead of the next-gen car. Will it be ready for the 2022 season? A lot to cover and five to go. me and they put me in jail and call my pappy to throw my bail and he said son you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod lincoln it's holiday season everybody it is holiday season we've loved this off season so far but there has not been a shortage of racing stories to cover and that includes by the way some formula one action and some snowball derby action that we have to get to at some point doug fireball turnbull from the traffic team here at 95.5 wsb and we're so thankful you're listening to the five to go racing podcast here episode number 158 is up and rolling, and we uh, took a couple of weeks off, kind of by circumstance. One was for Thanksgiving, and then I've just had a ton to cover of my other jobs, so it's been tough to figure pockets out where we could go and get one of these guys recorded. So I'm Doug Turnbull. We're joined on the line today, not by Eric Von Hessler. He is uh, very busy with the Von Hessler Doctor Radio Show, which airs 9 to noon each week, or each weekday on 95.5 WSB and all the podcast grabbers and WSBRadio.com. We are joined, however by esteemed folks in the racing community. First, he's the maker of speed in Dawsonville, the master mechanic, fresh off of, I'm sure, eating at least half a turkey this Thanksgiving. Dan Elliott, how you doing? Doing great. Hope everybody else is, too. I'm doing very well, thank you. And the young upstart, as Ken Squire would say, that kid... And that and that voice, except he could do it better. But uh, Devin Kupka joins us again there, a super fan, race enthusiast there. And Devin, you've even been incorporating some uh, NASCAR talk into your public speaking college courses there at North Georgia College in Dahlonega. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I'm just counting the day, counting down the days for the NASCAR season to begin. Which, as of this recording, we're 60 days out from the Bush Clash. The Bush Clash, which will be run in the L.A. Coliseum. Yeah, on uh, February the 8th, just ahead of Speed Weeks in Daytona. That is right around the corner. But here's what we don't have ready, polished up, and ready to go. Usually this is the time of the offseason, Dan, right, where teams are hard at work massaging that Daytona 500 car. They have a rule book for the next season so they know what they're dealing with. And so far, Dan, the teams do not have the finalized rule book anyway for the next gen or the Gen 7 race car a car that's going to be built with a bunch of parts made not in their shops, which is brand new. And they've had a Charlotte test that that mostly went well, but but then they had some things they're dealing with, right? There's been heating issues in the car, steering issues, and cars not behaving well in traffic, which is kind of the whole point of changing the car, one of the points. And, and so, Dan, they, they've now scrapped a Phoenix test. They're going to reschedule and have another Charlotte test. And they still need to test in Atlanta and, and need to test again at a, a super speedway. There, there's a lot to go on. And as Devin just said, we've got less than two months left in this offseason. Oh, and there's Christmas in the middle of it. So ha, ha, have you heard any rumblings in the industry, Dan? And how does any of this sit with you? No, I think everybody has, has to me, voiced the same concern. And that is not only the, the, the things that you had talked about, but also, too, the supply chain issue right. works across the board to everyone and being able to get components, um, not knowing exactly the finalized rules. It's going to be one of those things where it could put the 
people employed at teams at a little bit of an advantage right now because you're not going to get rid of a lot of people just yet until you get an inventory of stuff completed. And you may have some personnel that you might have to put on leave until after Christmas. I don't think so. But I, I think that you've got certain people who might get a little time off right now while you're waiting on some components. But I think everyone is going to be busy trying to trying to get ahead of the curve on what they think is going to be and trying to anticipate every move because you've already got this car in a version anyway, and, and that's the V8 supercar. And, and I think that everybody is looking toward that right now. And um, now it's just time getting, getting down to the crunch of what NASCAR finalizes that their rules will be and what you will be allowed to run. Um, whether you can get these components, it'll all work out. I mean, it'll, it'll all work out because their, their intent is to run that car first of the yeah. year. And, and I think it'll, I think it'll be there. Well, for sure. And look, they, they're going to go down to the Bush clash. Uh, Kevin Harvick, by, and I just got to interject right here. Kevin Harvick did an incredible interview on the Dale Jr. Download that I encourage anybody listening, if you haven't already, to go check it out. Uh, he, he covered a lot of stuff. It got personal because he and Jr. had some bad blood at one point a few years ago, and I, and I won't say any more than that. But one thing, uh, Jr. asked Harvick about his approach as a driver going into Daytona and Speed Weeks and how – you know what what the attrition rate with race cars could be and and with the supply chain and it being a new race car and wanting to reuse them and and would he change his driving style and he and he said that pretty much you know teams are just going to have less cars to deal with and and if you go junk two race cars in Daytona you're you're going to be in trouble they're probably not going to have to do anything more than replace the bodies after the at the bush clash he said if you if you're minding your p's and q's so i wouldn't expect that race to be a barn burner frankly uh, with so many teams going out there knowing that it's an exhibition race but secondly yeah but can i can i inject can i inject right here just i you've got to understand as a as a team and team owner these first cars are going to be prototypes anyway. They will get run, but they are prototypes. They're not going to have time to massage on these things very much at all. So when you look at how it has come to pass in the last years of transitions of generational cars is that you have throwaway cars in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be an expensive to, throwaway you, car, right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Every time there is a change is these cars, because they're not massaged down, because it's not the final rules, and the rules could change a little bit as we progress, therefore making these cars not the desirable car to be racing down the road. It will not have the little nuances and, and, and innovations in them that the newer cars each car you build gets better because you learn the technique you learn something from the last one well so that for you sure get better cars as you go through this and these first cars that are built needless to say they're the best but they're bad the best at the moment 
Right. They so, are not gonna... the best two months from now. They are the best at the moment. Right. And, and that that's what's going to be, I would say, very compelling to watch unfold through this season is the teams that that hit on it early. And are they the same ones yes. as they progress through? You know, if you remember the early COT they will days. Be. They will be. It, yeah, the early days of the car tomorrow, it was, I mean, Hendra Motorsports in 2007, for instance, just went on a bloody tear. I mean, they were they were all yep, over it, yep. and it took teams time to catch up. So, Devin, I got a question for you. Yeah, I know you at least paid some attention to the test in Charlotte, and there's only so much you can pay attention to in tests. In fact, there was a point where they were changing some aerodynamic pieces on the cars, and they let Kevin Harvick run a different spoiler. I believe it was Harvick anyway, and he ran way faster than everybody else because they were tinkering with a car but overall these cars were two to three seconds a lap Devin fat uh, slower than what the cup cars were running back in the fall or b- back in the, the coke 600 so does that make any difference to you Devin as a race fan who has been to you know seven or eight races in the 2021 season um well when you're tinkering with the car and especially well this is more with the horsepower but but when you're tinkering with the car and when you lower the speeds, it can it it'll be interesting. I think it was interesting what they did at the test session, allowing allowing different things, for instance, with Harvick and the in the spoiler and running faster. I also think it might be the package they're running on these cars as well next year, because I know on for the short tracks next year they're going to be running less horsepower. It's going to be down to 670 next year, I believe, on short tracks. So, but but. But with the more horsepower in these cars, the faster they go, because I believe at one point in the season, I'm not sure if it was the Coke 600 weekend earlier, earlier in the 2021 season. But if you looked at qualifying times, the Xfinity cars actually ran faster than this year's cup cars, which is kind of be kind of which is going to be a little concerning for next year, especially with the next gen cars, because it seems like the next gen cars are going to be a little bit slower than today's cup cars are. Well, I guess that's my question to you, Devin, is do you think that's even a prize as a fan? You know, we're not here to solve all NASCAR's problems, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know where it sits with me. That's the thing, because I see the benefit of the cars going slower. And then I just see the optics of them being slower than their AAA series, right? It's like if the fastballs for the Gwinnett Stripers were faster than the fastballs being thrown for the Atlanta Braves. So, like, does that does to you as a fan, is it something you notice, or do you have to be so nerdy and paying attention to it that only then would you notice? You're gonna have to kind of kind of be nerdy because if you're a casual fan, you're most likely not gonna know about it. You're going to think that the Cup Series runs quicker, then the Xfinity Series is a little slower, and then the Truck Series is a little bit slower than the Xfinity Series. And it just keeps getting kind of lower and lower as uh, further down you go on the ladder. Um, but as a fan, I'm not too big of a fan of them reducing the speeds. I think I think it should, you know, innovation and all that. We should we should have as we should, the cars should be going as fast as they safely can. Now I don't want to see cars going like 250 at Charlotte Motor Speedway, but oh. I, I want to see that I want to see the cars. You know, we add more horsepower as time goes on. That's what I kind of want to see, and I and I think mm-hmm. the Cup Series should be quicker than the Xfinity Series. Dan, do you do you have a quick weigh in on that before we move uh, off of the next? Show? I do, I do. Please. Can I check irrelevant? Please uh, to check irrelevant. So you you don't think the check speeds irrelevant? Matter. I don't think the speeds matter because all of these cars. You look at racing, and what do you always compare racing? It's always the competition. I'm going to look at how close the other cars are in competition with these cars. I'm going to judge the Cup Series 
against the Cup Series. As long as you've got a lot of cars bunched up together and running feist, irrelevant. I, th- I think that's the that is what NASCAR is banking on is who cares Correct. what the package Correct. is, who cares any of it, as long as Correct. yeah, that, as long as long as there's competition, and, and that's what they're trying to prove it right now as they as the new next gen car has been set up and they haven't run in packs yet, but there has been a tepid response amongst the drivers about how those cars behave in traffic. And I want to point everybody again to the Dale Jr. Download, the episode from the the week after Thanksgiving, so around November the 30th, December 1st, Kevin Harvick, and it was two and a half hours or two hours or so of Harvick, but him talking about the basic thing the cars need and how they're driving too much off the rear of the race car or too much off the front of the race car and needs to drive off the rear to feel better in traffic. Something along those lines. That, I think that covers a lot of that. And, of course, Count Harvick among those, and he was very vocal about it during awards week, Count Harvick among those who definitely thinks horsepower needs to be added so the drivers have more to play with, not necessarily just because of speed. Now, I want to put, move do you on. Remember, to, do you remember when the bicycles came to Gresham? Uh, that, that was great. Okay, so did it matter how fast they were going? No, no, that was good. The kids' bicycle races were fantastic, though. Yeah, it did they were not. fantastic because yeah, I know. And and the competition is really to me what it's all about. I just want I, to see them in close competition, running feist. Don't they don't have to be feister than than anybody else? But I want to see a lot of cars in competition together and vying for the win. And I, I want to see that too. I think what the problem is is that once they get settled down, like here's what Harvick said, and 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 he's saying the things that we've heard Kyle Busch complain about for the last three years, Denny Hamlin, and on and on and on. He said that if a driver screws up in front of him and opens up the door for him to make a pass, he doesn't have any throttle to play with. He's already going wide open, and then the arrow keeps him from passing the person a lot of times. And he and this is a guy that took a slow car last year and made it finish in the top 10 so he knows how to pass <laughs> I think that's I think that's the issue that it seems like they keep running against is how do we still keep it competitive and give the drivers enough to play with and I think the drivers don't feel like they're being hurt enough on that and we've talked about that ad nauseum in past episodes on here but I, I in the end the product has got to be good and and NASCAR is vying for that so here's something right up your alley Dan I want to move on they, there was a little bit of talk, and just uh, industry talk, I guess, and social media officials in the sport, and, and I'm not, I don't have the article up, so I'm not quoting them exactly, but pretty much, Dan, they're saying something that you've been saying for the last three years. Of If NASCAR, essentially, if NASCAR could build a temporary track in the LA Coliseum, what's to stop them from going to other countries around the world that don't have racetracks and putting on races? And you have said over and over again, and I and I haven't been as much of a buy-in as you, although I I think it's viable. Would could NASCAR race internationally? And now we're starting to hear those rumblings, even though it's just talk. So Dan, but with that revelation, how do what what how do you imagine that going? It's it's it is. There is no way that you're going to be able to stop this from happening. It is inevitable that this is going international because I still contend that NASCAR sees what F1 is doing and the success and format of the program. And I think that you're going to see them mirror the program to some degree and keep their own identity. I I think that's a very interesting concept, especially if, as you talked about, Dan, over and over, 
you start holding the hands of the is alive and well. In this case, that might be a good version of it. So we're going to get to F1 a little later in the show and talk about, and I'm not going to get super deep into it, but talk a little bit about Hamilton, Verstappen, and their latest go at Saudi Arabia. And to me, one of the greatest races, uh, greatest battles, not greater races, greatest battles I think I've ever seen on the racetrack is, is unreal. All right. So uh, next topic here, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. And I don't know why they announced this story in two phases, but you hear on the week following Thanksgiving, so about a week ago as we're recording this, the Richard Petty Motorsports is selling its majority interest to GMS Racing, which includes buying both of the charters there, the charter that belongs to the 43, and then the other charter that Petty had that they had leased out most recently to the Rick Ware team. And my first thought was, is okay, there's going to be a 43 for a while, but this is going to be a GMS team because that's how they announced it. However, on the day before this recording at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, they do an unveiling of the cars and the number 94 that Ty Dillon was supposed to drive that now has a charger, by the way, and is locked into all the races next year, becomes a 42. That's pretty cool. And then the 43 remains, and it is not called GMS Racing. It is called Petty GMS Racing. And essentially, Andrew Merstein, the big investor behind the Petty Enterprises, or Richard Petty Motorsports deal, he's out, and Maury Gallagher's in. That's basically it. They're also moving to the GMS race shop, out, out of Richard Childress Racing, and going to GMS's shop. So, we've had another, Dan, I'm coming to you first again, and I want to get to you, Devin, for sure. But, Dan, we've had another reimagining of Richard Petty's race team. And when I first got news of this, I thought, this might actually be the end. And it wasn't. So uh, what do you think about all this? I think it's great because you're you're keeping some of the old in with the new and you're incorporating it in. And, and I think that Richard is such a fixture in this industry that you cannot deny that the name comes with horsepower. And the horsepower is the fact that he is seven-time champion, tied but not beaten, and he was the first one to do it. And there's a lot of history that goes with him that you cannot deny carries a lot of clout. Well, it does. And part of that history is having the number 42, which Lee Petty drove. And then when Kyle Petty first came to the Cup Series in 1980, 1979, 80, around there, the, Kyle ran the 42 before leaving for the Wood Brothers. So, and, and then he ran the 42 again when it was a Felix Sabatis car, I know. And then there was a Sabatis and Ganassi number for many years up until just through this season. And now, of course, the Ganassi team has turned into track house racing. And Wasn't that also a Marty Robbins number? Well, uh, are you asking, was that Marty Robbins number? Or are you telling me? I'm sorry. Yeah, was that also a Marty Robbins number? Uh, let me have a look. It might it might have been. I I don't know, actually. Um, so I'm looking Somewhere that up right now. While I look that up, hey, uh, hey, so Devin, what do you th- now? You're a new school fan, but you obviously have an appreciation for Richard Petty Motorsports and the Petty name. So how, how did this news sit with you? Um, I thought I thought it was pretty interesting because I I saw the press release that they they brought out for uh for not not this merger but this uh this kind of new rebranded petty team and they said they're going to bring back a winning mindset to the team which i thought was Uh kind of interesting because uh over the past couple of years and really since i really got into the sport uh richard petty motorsports and and that 43 team really hasn't they haven't been great but they haven't been super bad either so they're kind they were always kind of always in the middle a little bit so i'm i'm curious to see what this 
what this is going to bring to the team. Um, yeah. I guess you could say now they're fielding two cars with Ty Dillon in the 42 and Eric Jones in the 43. I, I'm curious to see where this brings the team. I wonder if I wonder with this partnership, if, if Richard Petty's going to start, if they're going to start kind of climbing up the ranks again and maybe maybe get kind of towards the, the glory of the old days back in the 70s huh. and 60s of the well, 43. That, that may be a high bar to set because they haven't been the glory days Petty team really yeah. since 1979, you know, or, yeah. or since the early 80s. Uh, but but if they could go be a, a proper middle-class team instead of just scraping around and averaging a 25th-place finish, that might be better for sure. I, I do think – so what I was worried about in the Ty Dillon number 94 situation is them not having a charter, although we've generally not had overfilled fields. As, as you saw with – uh, Daniel Suarez uh, uh, in 2020 missing the Daytona 500 in the 96 car when he was supposed to run a full season. It, it, that Daytona race especially is usually a tough one to get into. And then also, how does that team stay solvent when you're making so much less money as a non-charter team than you are the charter teams? Well, Mar- Marty Gallagher obviously, or Mari Gallagher, I should say, obviously feels like the investment of, and I think the, I think the number was between 13 and 19 million. I don't have it in front of me, but it was a number, it was in the eight figures, or, or yeah, the eight figures that he paid to get the majority interest in RPM. A lot of that is just the value of those charters. So at a 42 for Ty Dillon and a, an array of sponsors there. And then Focus Factor is the big sponsor that the 43 car, Lime Green and Dart Blue, will champion through the 2022 season. They have almost a couple dozen races on there. I hope that sticks. That, that seems like a brand new fly-by-night company that's throwing a lot of money at a race team. So we know how those goes, Dan. Sometimes those big companies you never heard of don't last as long as you expect. But I, I hope that between getting bought and between having that sponsor, that this team is a little more solvent than it was before. So that that's the story of Petty GMS. We also learned that uh, with Kurt Busch's team, you know, they, they had a charter situation fall through when Front Row Motorsports decided not to sell out. Well, they bought Starcom Racing's charter, and Denny Hamlin said he paid about $13 million or so for that charter. $13 million, and that's not buying any pit boxes. <laughs> that's just buying the charter. So, Dan, uh, it could, he said last year he paid about, I think, 6 or $7 million for Bubba Wallace's charter on the 23 car, and, he, and the price almost doubled. I guess the money they saved last year, Dan, helped him buy the one this year. Well, I think this only cements what I've said before is when Michael Jordan came in and you're looking at where N1 is going to end up at, where it's going and where it's going to end up at, I think you've got a lot of people that are buying in early knowing that this is going to be successful and that it's going to be worth a whole lot more down the road. And it's a little more expensive to buy Bitcoin, but uh, no, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think if they're banking on it being more successful in the future with a TV deal coming up in a couple of years too, and yeah. how how those funds are going to change with you're you're really malleable with these tracks. We're seeing tracks come and go at a faster burn rate than we ever have seen, or that I've seen since I've started following it in 2001. That and let's use that to see right into the next deal. Uh, we got some other silly season stuff to talk about with Front Row Motorsports firming up their driver lineup and some uh, things in the smaller series, too. But, boys, uh, we've, we've seen on the track news side things start to heat up as just in the last couple of weeks, Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, which owns Atlanta Motor Speedway and Charlotte and Bristol and New Hampshire and L- Las Vegas and several others, has announced that they are 
buying uh, Dover Motorsports, which means they will own Dover International uh, Do- Dover International Raceway, which that track did go from two dates down to just one. And that makes me wonder how long Dover is even going to have the one date when you hear all this talk about the Nashville Fairgrounds getting done up. And that's the second part of this story. The Nashville Fairgrounds, now it's all past the really stringent city council meetings, and they are going to be allowed to redevelop that track and have it able to host bigger style races in the future, which could potentially pave the way for cup races in a couple of years, potentially again. So Nashville's gone from having zero NASCAR races a year to potentially two NASCAR weekends later on. Um, Dan, <laughs> so I guess the first thing you want to feel is, do you think Dover stays or goes on the schedule at second? How do you feel about Nas- Nashville going from having nothing to having all that? I say that Bruton is no dummy, and if he bought Dover, then even if NASCAR does at some point in time decide not to go back there, you have other races that run there, including the horse races, that are very successful. Yeah, I think think they could potentially both be. Yeah, absolutely. And the fairgrounds, of course, is second oldest track in America, I think, or the oldest, one of the two. It's right up there. Well, I just think there's a future there, and Nashville, do not count out Nashville on anything because you've got too many influential and you've also got uh, when did uh, it was F1 that ran there or Indy that ran there? I can't remember. Indy, but Indy that ran there. I thought it was. Oh uh, but, yeah, the street um, race, the Grand Prix was Indy. Yeah, the that street was just race in the summer. Yeah, you've got so many things that are coming there that that I think that there's room enough to grow this because I don't know that it offers everything that you could look for out of Cup because that racetrack is. It's fairly small. It doesn't handle a lot of people just yet. And and here is one of the problems that has been brought up in the past about every track is the fact of accessibility. Yeah. And when well, you and throw, so- yeah, when you throw a lot of people into that city, you're going to clog it up like a cheap sewer. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the great news is the fairgrounds are close to downtown. National Super Speedway, I don't yeah. think it's 20 or 30. It's, it's not super far away from town. And then you had the street race go right through the heart of downtown. Not to mention the NASCAR yeah. Awards Banquets there, and the city seems to really receive the sport uh, very well. Now, Devin, you went to Nashville Super Speedway back in June, um, and, and you and you have said on this podcast about how it seemed like the the track was very welcoming to the mm-hmm. whole sport. But but there's always we saw different booms through through the racing and through NASCAR in the nineties. Oh, we gotta all have mile and a half tracks. It needs to seat over a hundred thousand people. Oh, we need to have more of this. Oh, we need to have more of that. There is a point of diminishing returns there. So I mean what what how does it sit with you, De- Devin? Do you think that a Nashville Fairgrounds race comes at the expense of Nashville Super Speedway? Do you think that it comes in addition to? Do you think the two NASCAR race weekends in that market is too much? Um, I, I think I think I think it, this is this is really interesting because now all of a sudden within the past two months, SMI now has complete control over that over that Nashville market. Now, um, I'm not really sure. I I I would hope they run both races in Nashville because I because I. I saw something a couple months ago that Knoxville, Tennessee, 
it was like one of their highest TV markets for NASCAR, which isn't yeah. too far outside of Nashville. So I think it would be a really good idea to have two races in Nashville, one at the fairgrounds, one at the super speedway. What we do know for a fact is that the Cup Series will be eventually racing at the fairgrounds. The only thing we're uncertain about is whether Nashville super speedway is going to keep their race. And that's what I'm kind of concerned about. But, you know, I, I wonder with, you know, with the Kentucky speedway losing their race, and giving it to Atlanta, I'm curious because now I think, I think what could happen in the future is that Atlanta, Atlanta might lose its summer race or possibly, possibly maybe the all-star race goes from Texas to the Nashville fairgrounds. It, yeah. it, it, this is going to be very interesting to see what SMI does. And I think it's undecided. I don't think they have all those things completely nailed down just yet because Nashville Fairgrounds first has to be remade. Then you decide if the Cub date is for sure going there or not. And then what happens to Super Speedway? So right. So there's a lot, lot to pack there. And then, and then that you know the Indy Grand Prix through Nashville when that was happening, it's like, oh man, can we race road course there? Well, no, I don't know that NASCAR needs to go there three times in a season. Two times seems like a lot for any season or for any city to me, frankly, these days, with the exception of maybe Bristol and, and Daytona Talladega. Like, the, going twice places is a lot, I think, right now. And, and I mean that even about Atlanta. And I love that it comes twice to Atlanta. So, all right, we're uh, here with uh, Dan Elliott, Devin Kupka, just uh, making up some lost ground here on the Five to Go Racing podcast. And in the with the news about Petty and GMS in the Cup Series, what you've seen is on the truck series side, GMS is big time downsizing. Sheldon Creed leaving the truck series up to Richard Childress Racing's Xfinity Series ride, joining Austin Hill, by the way. That's a two-car team uh, for full-time in 2022. And then you've seen recently that Chase Purdy and Tyler Ankrum, which are both GMS racing drivers, are moving from GMS over to the Hattori Racing Enterprises team, which will campaign trucks 16 and 61 next year for those two guys since Austin Hill is leaving. And it seems like GMS, of course, is putting their eggs in the cup basket. And then I think Zane Smith, I've got to look this up just to double make sure, but I believe Zane Smith, who was also in that championship four race and almost won the title there for GMS Racing. Zane, I believe, is going to front row motorsports in the truck series. And I'm going to double check that right now as I vamp and as I do. That does open up this discussion, boys. Todd Gilliland coming to the Cup Series. I did not have that on my Silly Season bingo card this year. And no no diss on Todd Gilliland, but Front Row Motorsports did not bring back uh, Anthony Alfredo. And they decided to bring back Michael McDowell in the number 34. But for the 38 machine, instead of shutting that team down... No, or bringing in Ryan Newman? No, or bringing in Matt Benedetto? No, they're promoting Todd Gilliland from the number 38 truck ride to the number 38 cup ride. And, of course, the, the front row and David Gilliland racing teams are very closely related there, and Gilliland, a longtime front row driver. Zane Smith is indeed the driver that re replaces Todd Gilliland in that number 38 truck after he campaigned a couple of years for GMS racing. So, Dan, Todd Gilliland to cup, what do you think? I think it'll be a good deal. I really do because you've you've seen this, Doug, throughout the last, gosh, probably four or five years or more, where it is better to bring up someone because now you're in another Gen Series car. You're you're coming into a time to me where it would be easier for somebody to come in and learn in this car and grow in this car 
through whatever lifespan it has till the next generation. And I think that's yeah. a smart idea. I, I think I, it's easier know, to train new, new uh, talent than it is to try to transition from older to now. I really do. It, why spend if you do have designs on the Cup Series? Why spend another year if there's an opening in Cup? Another year learning a different race car in Xfinity when you could just go to Cup. But Devin Todd yeah. Gilliland does not have this big decorated series in the Truck Series or decorated history in the Truck Series. He he won that one race for Kyle Busch Motorsports and and I think he missed the playoff. Yeah, he missed the playoffs that year. And then and then with Front Row, he did win the race at Circuit of the Americas and was competitive in a lot of others, but. He didn't set the world on fire, and we've seen drivers that have set the world on fire, like John Hunter Nemechek, come to the Cup Series and then and then they tap out, right? So, what, where, how does this one sit with you, considering the talent that's potentially available out there? I, I think I think this will probably end up being to a very similar situation to John Hunter Nemechek. And as you said, uh, Todd Gilliland Todd Gilliland has not really lit up the world or anything. He only has two wins in the Cup Series or not the Cup Series, the Truck, truck Series, series yeah. over the past uh, three years, having one win in 2019 and one win this year. Um, and also another interesting thing is he actually hasn't run an Xfinity race, which is another interesting thing I yeah. saw. Um, I don't know what's going to come out of this, really. I This is a potential because I know I, we all know 23XI Racing was supposed to buy a charter from Front Row. So I'm wondering if Todd Gilliland might be bringing sponsorship to this Cup team for next season. So uh, this will be kind of interesting to watch, but I don't really expect too much to come out of this. Todd Gilliland for all that history is only 21 years old. So he's still making and forming there. And I think, you know, some of the things, and he's a two time K&N West series champion too. He's, he's got pedigree from his teenage years and, and sometimes it's just a struggle there. And we saw that with Noah Gregson too, who's done better with junior motorsports in the Xfinity series than than he's done elsewhere. So that some stories there on the on the other side of the wall, and a lot to be decided with who drives where, what, when, even with some of the lower tier cup rides, it's believed Rick Ware racing is going to be a two car team next year. Drivers unannounced considering what's going on with their other charters. It's also, um, uh, it's it also there's a big announcement coming up just on Friday, two days after this recording with Chase Briscoe, Tony Stewart at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What's regarded as a major announcement. And there's been some talk about other manufacturers and things like that. But, uh, but I don't know what any of that it, to, to speculate would be the wrong thing to do right here. So uh, the last thing I want or two last things I want to cover really fast here, boys, is I want to talk about uh, the Snowball Derby. And that uh, Chandler Smith went to victory lane in that race for Donnie Wilson Motorsports. Donnie Wilson, who, Dan, you saw race for many years at Gresham Motorsports Park himself, has this yep, kind of super sure short, short track team. And uh, Don, Donnie Wilson there has brought, brought the heat, and Chandler Smith went to victory lane. And then afterwards, they tore that car, the engine completely apart and everything down. And that took a lot of social media experts, quote-unquote, criticized that. But a lot of people in the industry said that was a good thing. With Chandler Chandler Smith wins the Snowball Derby, and he's another prospect that had a little bit of dirt thrown on him after a kind of struggling year, although he popped off a couple of wins in the Truck Series. Dan, did, did you follow any of this Snowball stuff, and did you have any opinion on the teardown process, too? No, I didn't get to follow very, very much of it at all, and I'm really proud of uh, Tim and them and the, and the Snowball, and they have done such an excellent job, and 
the the deal about the teardown is did you expect any less of Ricky Brooks? That's what everybody says. Yeah. Did you expect any less? Well, so here's the deal. And I, Matt Weber, who now works for Racing America, which is it's just owned by the race team associate race team alliance and speed 51 is owned by them too. But, but Matt Weaver just took a job with them to, to cover NASCAR and to cover the short tracks. And, and pretty, pretty, he wrote all about it, pretty much advocating the process saying that Donnie Wilson asked for this. Other people in the industry asked for this because it seems like almost every year, I mean, Dan, your own nephew, I mean, Chase got thrown out for having a, a bad weight balance or using the improper weight. We saw, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a Christopher Bell or Eric Jones. One of the two had the win taken away a couple of years ago and given to Chase because their car is illegal. Like almost every year, there's a car that that has questions about it. You know, and, uh, and uh, Stephen Nassi had a finish or a win taken away because of the brakes he was using. It it just it, to tear it down like this and make sure it's legal. I think seems to be what everybody's asking for. Although it was a four hour process, they didn't know the official winner until four hours after. So that that's a that's a strange thing. Not a strange thing. I think it was for that prestigious of a race. I think that is probably one of several races that I think this process has to run its course. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you follow it all, any Devin? Is that something that you that you sunk your teeth into the snowball derby? No, um, I only found out that they, I thought, I thought they ran the snowball derby a little later in December until I looked it up today and then I saw the race results. But, um, I do pass. So, so interesting thing about that speedway is I, every, every year I go on vacation to the, to a beach down there and I pass the speedway every year. So I, I've always, I've always wanted to go down to the speedway and attend a race there, but I, but, oh, but I did not follow the, uh, snowball derby. I've never been either, and I told uh, Momo, my wife, that I want to do that next year. It was at, it, that's my birthday weekend usually, or around my birthday. So I definitely uh, I want to make that a habit. I want to make that not a birthday deal every year, but i got to go at least once. But the amount of cars they draw to this thing, and, and they have the support series too. The Snowflake is the pro, the pro late model race run on Saturday, and then they have trucks. They had a scary truck race there that, that they saw a truck get absolutely destroyed when somebody – exacted revenge on that truck and the driver did survive and, and only had some back pain, thankfully, but uh, they, they drew a ton of fans, a ton of cars. And Dan, I just want to know, like what, what do they know that other tracks miss or is it just this prestigious race and it's become folksy to go to it? Like, I, I don't know. What are they doing? Right. I think you've got a combination of so many things, Doug, because you have the history of the event the fact of the people that are running this deal know how to run it and put on a good program and are very, very well received in the industry as far as, as, as being able to promote this track, get the right drivers there, and it is the perfect time of the year to run this event because you've ended all the other races around the country Florida is a destination that you're going to at the end of the, before the winter begins or right about the time that winter begins. There are so many combinations to this. The family can go on vacation after this race. There are so many things that, that I wish that, that we were better able to offer the same ingredients at Gresham as they were at Pensacola. 
Hey, you can go to the beach after Five Flags. At, at Gresham, it doesn't feel, has the same ring to go spend the week in Fort Yargo no. State Park uh, up the road or something, although that's, that sounds fun, too. Uh, that, that's a great point. So Chandler Smith out of Talking Rod, Georgia, that's northwest Georgia here, he finished first. Second place was the guy that dominated the event. Chandler did put the sheet metal shove to him there on a late restart to take that lead, but second place is Derek Thorne, who dominated this race and won the pole. Second year in a row, both have happened. Cole Butcher finished third. Ryan Priest, heard of that kid from Connecticut, he was fourth. Sammy Smith, the Joe Gibbs racing prodigy there, who I believe was the K&N Series East champ, or sorry, the Arca Menard Series East champion, he was fifth. Hunter Robbins, remember him, Dan? Hunter Robbins, he's married to Johanna Long. They, he uh, finished yep. in the uh, sixth position. Carson Hosevar, full-time Truck Series driver, who will be back with Nice Motorsports next year. He finished seventh. Then Stephen Nassi, one of the more polarizing figures in uh, in short track racing. He finished eighth with Corey Heim out of Marietta, Georgia, ninth. And Eric Jones was tenth. He also had uh, NASCAR's uh, Ty Majeski finished in the eleventh spot. Bubba Pollard still has never won this race, and he finished thirteenth. And this also bid to the end of the career of Rich Bickle. He ran his last career race. And this year's Snowball Derby having trouble early. And Bickle finished in the 31st spot. There were 37 cars in the main event, and a lot of others went home. Uh, Mike Garvey finished in the back there. Uh, Kyle Plott out of Marietta finished in the back. Jeff Chiquette, longtime short track racer, finished toward the back, too. I mean, this race actually had a good bit of attrition, even though it was a long, green-looking race. So that is the Snowball Derby there, and i got to get down and attend that sometime. Maybe, Dev, you and I can figure out how to go there together, okay? Um, all right, last thing I want to cover here before we take five to go back into the garage is Formula One, and boy, oh boy, the championship is tied going into the final event this weekend at Abu Dhabi with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Hamilton's won, I think, it's the last three races in a row. Verstappen penalized for running Lewis off the track, and then he actually brake-checked Lewis as he was going by him there and then caused a five-second penalty when he was supposed to give a position back, and Lewis actually hit him, and it magically did not destroy, destroy the cars. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. The, this, this is the most tantalizing battle between two drivers, at least that I've seen in a while. And have either of you guys followed that, or did any of you watch this past Sunday? I have not. I, I don't. I don't really watch F1 that much, but I, I, I think it's interesting on how their point systems work, and I'm not. I'm not sure. Is it every race that they only award points to the top ten? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Finish I, in the I, top I, ten to get points. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of interesting how they award points and all that for F1, but yeah, I don't really follow F1. I think so. Sunday at 8 a.m. on Big ESPN at Abu Dhabi is the final race of the year. They'll qualify through the weekend and all that. And I, I don't set my clock around. I have to watch every lap of every F1 race. And I actually have to work traffic this Sunday morning. So I'll have it on one of the TV screens and keep it an eye on that while I watch the Atlanta roadways. But that's going to be a fun one to watch. But, Dan, imagine this, man. You know, and I know we have the playoff format in NASCAR, but these guys have run a 23-race season, I believe, is 23 races, top of my head. And it comes down to they're back to zero. And, and, and it's the two fastest cars, what are seen as the two best drivers in F1, getting to go at it for one more Grand Prix. I, you can't ask for more than that, and considering all the rivalry and the close quarters and how much their bosses have been barking at each other, too. You know, Doug, this is kind of the culmination of what, to me, was the perfect storm as we saw the year progress 
and I watched a little bit of that race. I had some things that I was into, and I could watch a little bit of it, but it is always, you know, that's probably getting to be one of the series that is the most watched, and because of the competition, and that's what we want to see in NASCAR with the with the Gen 8, when Gen 7 car, um, it is one of the things that you want to see come through NASCAR is that you have this kind of competition all year long and keep interest generated, interest high, and come up at the last race of the year and look to be the excitement that this is building. Yeah, well, I, I think that it is absolutely, absolutely tantalizing to see this come to a head. And if you watched that race in Saudi Arabia, the way that Lewis Hamilton was obviously faster later in a run, and he stalked and he stalked for Stappen and finally got to him, got under him in whichever turn, and then and then it's and then just like in the first turn of the race where Hamilton seemed to run Verstappen off the track, Verstappen came down, ran Hamilton off, and actually then the, then there was a yellow flag right after that on that narrow track. It was the first time they'd run in Saudi Arabia, and and then he had to give up his spot. Verstappen did, and then the time penalty when he slowed down to give him the spot back. It, it, it just there's so much drama, and these are guys at the ahead of their game. This is not just a and I'm not, I love plate racing or super speedway racing. And I honestly like NASCAR's championship format, but this isn't a fake tie. These are the two best cars and Mercedes has become faster through the season as they got a new engine put in the two best cars and they're, they're going to go for it. And in the, the title. two best and, drivers in the world. And the, and really, yeah, the two, two of the best, I hate to say, you know, cause it's hard to say that they, but they, they are the two most well-known and and the two drivers at the highest of their game in the entire world, with all apologies to all the yep, other champs and the other sports. At this sports. point in time, at this point in time, they are probably the two best in the world right now. I, I would love to see how they would fare and other. And I'm not just talking about NASCAR, but in other disciplines too, especially oval racing, which is totally different. But they they are they they are locked in and loaded, and it's going to be fun to watch the two best teams, two best drivers championship 8 a.m. Sunday. One last thing I want to say is the award ceremony we talked about Nashville did happen this past week. It's not to me it's not must see TV anymore, right? It's but it is a week of events or several days of them. And Kyle Larson, there's a great speech up on YouTube of, of just his championship speech, six minutes. And I thought it was very gracious, very well done. And he does make a point to thank Chip Ganassi because without Ganassi he's not in NASCAR. And I thought that was very well done. So you can find that. Go use that Google machine and go find Kyle Larson's accepted speech there. And really the rest of it that they did also make, instead of having separate banquets, they made Xfinity Series champ Daniel Hemrick and Camping World Truck Series champ Ben Rhodes a part of the festivities there too. To have it all happen together in what used to be like a four-plus-hour event was something like an hour and a half, I think, or so. So they've they figured things out. And the burnouts on Broadway were a great thing, even though a couple of drivers couldn't get their cars figured out. It was, that was fun to see, including the Penske trio. How weird is this, guys, that Brad Keselowski, because they did the burnouts, and Kurt Busch are leaving their teams, but they had to go back and drive their old race cars in the burnouts. You know, They've already got the new deal signed. I mean, Busch is changing manufacturers, and he's out there driving a Chevrolet. I, I thought that was good that they didn't say no to that. I think it was great that they didn't burn the cars down because – I would have probably burnt mine to the ground right there, knowing that I didn't have to face anybody after I got out of it. 
Hey, but Brad, uh, Kevin Harvick uh, did a burnout where he, he t- I think he chewed it right down to the rims and said, yeah, man, we're not using that race car anymore. <laughs> so well, why not? <laughs> do it like they do in the uh, summer nationals in Australia. Throw gasoline under the tires and light it up and then light it up. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that uh, that NASCAR is the, or sorry, Nashville is the home to that, that rather than Vegas, although Vegas was a good home for about a decade there for NASCAR's awards. All right, boys, well, let's take it into the garage. I, I want to do at least one more of these before Christmas and maybe more. I want to set up some interviews. That's something I haven't gotten on yet, but there, there are some drivers and different uh, personalities I'd like to talk to and make that a part of it. And you know, Devin, I hope we can get you to be a part, a part of more of these in the future as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, Dan, it's I know great you're busy to over there hear from the, everybody. The job, so. Say yep, it again. It's great to hear from everybody. And, and Devin, it, he is uh, definitely a protege here that is, uh, that is all a, a passionate about what's going on, and I love that. I absolutely do too. And, and, and Eric Von Hessler does give his regards there. It's just, uh, it's been tough and hectic on their end, among other things, planning a Christmas special. Uh, so that's part of their extemporaneous time. They got to get ready for So uh, for Dan Elliott and Devin Kupka, I'm Doug Turnbull. Check us out. And you may have heard us one place here, all the places you can hear WSRadio.com, goprn.com, or in all of the podcasty like spaces, like our Facebook page, five to go racing. I put the new episodes and every once in a while, an article or two that something that stands out to me. And I mentioned, I want to mention them again. Kevin Harvick's interview with the Dale jr. Download was excellent. Also they did a fast talk, the show that Doug Rice hosts along with Brad Gilly and Alexis Erickson, they do a great job of going through NASCAR stories, and they did a lot of talk about the next-gen car this past week and part of the PRN network, so check that out. And uh, just have a wonderful holidays, but I'm sure we'll talk to you before that all gets cranked up even more. So for Dan Elliott, Devin Kupka, and Eric Von Hessler that couldn't be with us this week, I'm Doug Turnbull, and thank you all very much for listening to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast.